You're going to love this. Just love it. Jokers to the right, especially today, from Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon coast, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, and muckraker. All-around swell fellow, says me, if not you. Glad you could join us. Uh, speaking of troublemaking, muckraking uh, bloggers and uh, all-around swell people, we will be joined shortly by Heather Digby Parton. But first, boy, oh boy, oh, and a little bit later, uh, more on what's going on in Kansas and what is the matter with Kansas. And it is really bad. So I will uh, look forward to talking about that and what I believe is the end of the uh, Reagan era as we are seeing it devolve right now in the great state of Kansas. But before all that, I got to say, I give up. I, I just I give up. I have been trying and trying to avoid presidential politics on this show for as long as possible not necessarily uh, their positions and so forth we've been covering all of that as these folks have gotten into the race but i've been trying to avoid the horse race as we usually prefer to uh, cover you know the track conditions and uh, that these guys are running on the election uh, concerns the fraud the machines um, but now, uh, you know, I, I can't avoid it anymore. Uh, we've got our, what is it, 11, 12? Uh, what are we at, Desi Doyen? Well, 12? as of Monday with Jeb Bush, it was, was 11. 11. And now it's 12. As of today, uh, Donald Trump got into the race. And normally, when I introduce a new candidate these days, uh, here's the theme song I'll, I'll play to do it. Now, that music seems more appropriate today on the surface than any other day. You would think I would use that as the theme song for Donald Trump's entry to the race. But no, I'm not. Uh, Today, there is one sound effect that I think is more appropriate than any other for Donald Trump entering the 2016 Republican race. And here it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Donald Trump, I believe, is blowing up 
the 2016 campaign, blowing it up for Republicans, uh, maybe even blowing it up for Democrats. We will see. Now, the Democratic Party put out a statement, which was uh, which is kind of amusing. Uh, They said uh, their statement upon Donald Trump getting into the race for uh, the Republican candidacy nomination is today. Donald Trump became the second major Republican candidate to announce for president in two days. He adds some much needed seriousness that has previously been lacking from the GOP field. And we look forward to hearing more about his ideas for the nation. They put that out with a uh, thinly veiled straight face uh, from the Democratic Party today. Uh, John Fugel saying our friend was uh, perhaps, you know, more emblematic of what seems to be going on on the Twitters with people sort of making fun of this whole affair. He said, Donald Trump, a man who worked his way up from nothing to be born a millionaire. And then Charlie Pierce over at Esquire, I think, uh, nailed it. In truth, though, he is uh, his tongue firmly implanted in his cheek. I think he he hits on it, actually. And let me le- read a little bit from what he had to say here before we uh, bring on Heather Digby Parton to talk about all of this fine mess. Charlie Pierce wrote, This is the day in which the denizens of the epistemic Epistemi- How do you say it, Des? Uh, epistemological. No. Epistemically. There we go. Oh, I epistemically? Said it right. All right. Wasn't looking This right. is the day in which the denizens of the epistemically closed hallucinatory menagerie of the political right become reality. The conjuring words have finally worked. The black spirits of the conservative imagination walk the landscape making news. Donald Trump will actively pretend to run for president this time around and announced his intentions in a speech that apparently was written by elves who learned English 20 minutes before Trump walked on stage. Politicians are all talk, no action. Nothing's going to get done. They will not bring us, believe me, to the promised land. They will not. As an example, I've been on the circuit making speeches, and I hear my fellow Republicans, and they're wonderful people. I like them. They all want me to support them. They don't know how to bring it about. They come up to my office. I'm meeting with three of them in the next week, and they don't know. Are you running? Are you not running? Could we have your support? What do we do? How do we do it? I like them. And I hear their speeches, and they don't talk jobs, and they don't talk China. When was the last time you heard, China's killing us? They're devaluing their currency to a level that you wouldn't believe it makes it impossible for our companies to compete. Impossible. They're killing us. But you don't hear that from anybody else. You don't hear it from anybody else. And I watched the speeches. (laughs) Thank you. I watched the speeches of these people. And they say, the sun will rise. The moon will set. All sorts of wonderful things will happen. Over, and people are saying, what's going on? I just want a job. That was Donald Trump during his uh, long announcement speech today, of course, at Trump Tower. Charlie Pierce goes on to write uh, about th- that section of the speech. Uh, he writes, personally, I think that the sun will rise and the moon will set are two of the easiest campaign promises to keep ever. That's true. Trump's vaguely paragraph-like globs of words 
were shot through with magical spells. There's this doctor he knows who doesn't like the Affordable Care Act. There's this manufacturer he knows who, who's having trouble with China. They all call Trump, perhaps through his bridge work, perhaps not, and unburden themselves on him because they know that Trump is the person who can solve their problems because he is a problem solver on the art of the deal, the four bankruptcies notwithstanding. Now, here's the key part from Charlie Pierce. Donald Trump is the inevitable result of 40 years of political conjuring, mainly by Republicans, but abetted by far too many Democrats as well. He is the inevitable product of anyone who ever argued that our political institutions should run like a business. He is the inevitable product of anyone who ever argued why the government can't balance its books, quote, the way any American family would. He is the inevitable result of the deregulated economy that was deregulated out of a well-cultivated wonder and awe directed at the various masters of the universe. Sooner or later, all of this misbegotten, magical thinking was going to burp up a clown like Donald Trump. Now, the only quibble I have with Charlie Pierce... We'll see if Digby agrees. The only quibble I have with his uh, description there of Donald Trump's candidacy is that he is not pretending to run for president. Donald Trump is actually running. And anyone who misunderestimates what the Republican Party has become at this time in the U.S. in 2016, who they would actually nominate and by extension who they might actually able to be able to get elected in the U.S. in 2016 through any means necessary. Anyone who misunderestimates that does so at their own peril. I think everything has changed today, but we'll see if I'm right about that. Uh, you know, in talking about this, bringing up this, I thought, well, who can I get other than you know Trump who would be recognizable in one name? Uh, Digby. Heather Digby Parton, also known as Digby from Digby's Hullabaloo, uh, is, is a contributing writer to Salon and the 2014 recipient of the Sidney Hillman Foundation's Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. We could use opinion and analysis at this time. Oh, Heather, welcome back to the broadcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, sure. I, you know what? I Really, I did think, well, who do, who do I call? Who, do, who can I ask about this? I went to your site. You had cited uh, Charlie Pierce here. Uh, first, before we get to my point about um, the fact that I, I think he's going to have a bigger impact, uh, perhaps, than, than people might think at this moment, uh, Donald Trump really is uh, the inevitable result of 40 years of what the Republicans have been about. Are, is he not? Do you agree with Charlie Pierce on that? Well, he, you know, he is John Galt, right? Mm. You know, he's the, he's the guy, the, the, the alpha mm -hmm. businessman. And not only that, you know, he's, he's been down and, and out and he's come back. I mean, he's the, the actual uh, personification of the modern American dream, a, a man who was born with millions and lost them and gained them again. Mm -hmm. And then, they, then the millions started making millions. And, you know, soon he became a billionaire, which is really kind of the ultimate American dream now. In fact, it's the only American dream. You know, you're a billionaire or you're not, and anything <laughs> less than that is you're kind of a loser. And, uh, you know, Trump, his speech today was very interesting because he brought up how much money he made. I mean, this is something he considers to be a big selling point. Yeah. And again, as Pierce said in his piece, that, too, is the ultimate uh, sort of, uh, you know, embodiment 
of what the Republicans have been selling, right? I yeah. mean, this is, yeah. you know, how much money do you have? I mean, why, why aren't, you know, why isn't Sheldon Adelson and Foster Fries and, you know, all these other billionaires, you know, they just don't have, they're just not bold enough to do what Trump is doing, which mm-hmm. is run himself. He's actually putting himself in there. These other guys are kind of hiring puppets to sort of, you know, pass, represent them uh, and their interests alone. And, and all these Republicans are going to these various summits and gatherings and, you know, making pilgrimages to, you know, the, kiss the rings of all these billionaires. Uh, Trump actually is a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, uh, I'm, but I'm sure he's very wealthy. He, he, <laughs> How much he actually he has. says so, so it must be yeah. true. He says to, uh, well, about he says nine he's billion. He's got nine yeah. billion. So I would assume that you know he probably you know he must be at least a billionaire if he's claiming nine billion. Right. I mean, I, you know, you say nine billion like you know that's just a single digit. You know, compared right. to the Cokes yes. who have a hundred billion, nine billion is a boatload of money. One billion is a boatload of money. You know, and and, uh, and he's not hiding it. He's not running away from it the no. way uh, you know Mitt Romney. Sort of, uh, yes, I'm a wealthy millionaire, but please don't notice that. This is a selling point with yes. this guy, and I would argue that this is a selling point to the, uh, you know, to the misbegotten uh, Republican Party after 35 years of the Reagan lie. That this is what they want to hear, whether it's true or not, whether it makes sense or not. Uh, this is, and I think you know, you describe it accurately. This is exactly, I think what they want to hear. This is their dream candidate, isn't it? Well, I mean, look, why, why shouldn't it be? I mean, he is, he is everything that they, you know, portray mm-hmm. as being the ultimate in achievement in American life. He's a businessman, a, quote, problem solver. He is nothing if not authentically himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, as you say, is admitting what he is. And, uh, you know, I'm just waiting for the press to start talking about that, about his authenticity and how he, you know, because that seems to be an obsession with them, with all these these candidates. Nobody's more authentic than Trump, right? He's just yeah. a rich piece of work who's out there. <laughs> he says whatever comes through his, you know, com- passes through his, his, his mind mm-hmm. at any given time. I mean, he really is the most authentic cr- candidate running. And if that's what people value, if you really want that, um, you know, he's your guy. And he happens to be extremely successful. And, uh, you know, and I think also, let's, let's not forget one other thing that you're forgetting in your calculation about whether or not he's formidable. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really important. He is a major television star. And I'm not talking yep. about cable news. He's not like Huckabee with his Sunday afternoon show with, you know, playing guitar with Ted Nugent. Mm-hmm. I'm talking, this is major network TV. Tens of millions of people watch that show. Yep. And way more than than Fred Thompson was, and you know everybody thought that you know was was something big. And right. you know the only one who the most successful presidential candidate up to this point who came from TV and had that um, you know that glow of being a real you know a real true celebrity was Ronald Reagan, yep. who was also a TV star. So I wouldn't underestimate that as being something that is meaningful for him. Now, granted, he has to win, you know, Republican primaries, 
But, hey, he came out today swinging with stuff that just is, is the reddest meat you can imagine. Wrong. Talking about the border being, you know, Mexicans being rapists and drug dealers and, you know, ISIS is coming to kill us all in our beds. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he, he didn't hold back. So No, he didn't. Know. And, and, and I'll, let me play, I'll, I'll play a clip uh, a little bit more from his speech today in a moment. But I think you hit on something here with Ronald Reagan. I, I mean, he was also considered a joke by uh, many in the media for many years until he wasn't a joke anymore. And so you're right. Not only do they have the American dream, the embodiment of the American dream, as these uh, so many in the Republican Party see see it, but he's also a famous uh, person. Uh, So he's got that going as well. And I think a lot of the people in the media, understandably, after having been burned uh, election cycle after election cycle, did not want to even focus on what Donald Trump would end up doing to the race because they figured, well, he'll he'll probably just not run after all. Now that he's running, uh, I think all bets are off, and I think it changes everything. Let me let me play a little bit uh, from the uh, from uh, his speech today, from Donald Trump's speech today. Some of these things you're talking about, uh, Heather Parton. Uh, beating up on China and Japan and Mexico, going after ISIS. Uh, Well, here's another minute or so from this uh, rambling speech, a few different clips from the speech. We don't have victories anymore. We used to have victories, but we don't have them. When was the last time anybody saw us beating, let's say, China in a trade deal? They kill us. I beat China all the time. When did we beat Japan at anything? Well, they took the oil that when we left Iraq, I said we should have taken. So now ISIS has the oil. Our country needs a truly great leader. And we need a truly great leader now. We need a leader that wrote the art of the deal. I'm really rich. I'll show you that in a second. This is going to be an election, in my opinion, that's based on competence. Somebody said, thank you, darling. Uh, the most unusual presidential campaign speech, certainly in history, but... But people are going to eat this up. You know, he was beating up on China, Japan, Mexico. He's beating up on his fellow Republicans. He was he destroyed, by the way, the Iraq war. So there's an appeal, uh, you know, above and beyond just the Republican base, but also to Republicans who uh, are trying to figure out how to get out of their years of support for that race. Well, for that war, here's a way out. Uh, He called, you know, Obamacare a disaster. Uh, Heather Digby Parton, um, let me add something controversial. I'm going to suggest he is a Republican version of Bernie Sanders. And I don't mean that as an, an insult in any way to Bernie Sanders. And by the way, you can tell me I'm completely wrong. But here's what I mean by that. This guy believes what he believes. For right or wrong, he believes what he believes. He's got a, you know, he's talking from, uh, what, you know, it, what is left of his heart. He's, he's not relying on teleprompters. He's saying he is channeling a lot of what the Republican base actually believes and feels in the way Bernie Sanders is channeling what the Democratic Party, many of the progressives there, believe and feel. So 
I know it's difficult to put those two guys in the same sentence, but uh, what do you think of that? Well, I will say this. I think he is more that than Rand Paul, which is what the media have been trying to sell us on, the idea that he's the Bernie Sanders of the race, that somehow or another he's, you know, the the guy who's, you know, really speaks from his heart and tells the truth and is, you know, out there fighting a good fight. Who, Rand? Um, You're saying Rand is supposed Rand, to be that yeah. guy? Yeah, he, and yeah. he's not. He's not. No, he's not. <laughs> he's, not. He's, he's, uh, he's trimming his sails everywhere. Yeah. I mean, he, he seems to actually be deluded enough to think he might, might win. Right. So, you know, that, that's kind of a problem for him. Um, but and he might. He might, I Heather. Might. You know, anything could happen. Any, you know, I, I, uh, yeah. You know, what can I say? Can I just take one moment to yeah. take an aside there, just to, to point out that Donald Trump said, when have we ever beat Japan at yes. anything? I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Nothing's... I don't know. What, something. I just feel like there's something out Some there that, point, that we actually did We might them. have beaten them at something. Not ringing a bell. <laughs> yeah, it's not ringing a bell, but just it's weird. Something in the background. I'm sure I'll come up with it. I'll Google it later and see if I can find <laughs> Out. But, but that won't yeah. hurt him. That won't no, hurt him. No, they Heather. love it. Yes. You know, they love it. And and of course, you know, this is look, I mean, I think, you know, I do think that he is you know, he he is channeling the uh GOP it. Mm-hmm. I think he's definitely got it. And more so than the other candidate who I think he's closest to in terms of his, you know, quote philosophy if you want to call it that is is Ben Carson. Ben Carson who is, you know, he is sort of, he's kind of a, you know, a, 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 he's an icon on the, on the Tea Party right, a lot of it because they're thrilled to have an African-American that they can respect, you know, who, and mm-hmm. he is extremely respectable in his field. I mean, the, as a neurosurgeon, the guy just, you know, he's one of the top in the world and obviously not an, an, an ignorant person in any way. But when it comes to politics, he clearly gets it all from Newsmax, Fox News and Rush Limbaugh. Yep. I mean, he has not read even one book <laughs> that, that wasn't promoted or written by those people. Maybe even Glenn Beck might even be in there. Oh, yeah. And Trump is the same way. I mean, Trump has, you know, the, the politics that, that they're playing, both Carson and Trump, are the, the politics of Fox News. I mean, that's, that's what they're talking about. I mean, these are the themes that 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 you know motivate and and enrage the base it gets them going mm-hmm. and that's you know Roger Ailes does that allegedly on behalf of the Republican party but I think what we're seeing in this race and maybe this ties into what you're saying as well that it's the this is the culmination of about 30 years of propaganda mm-hmm. that you know people like Roger Ailes very cynically put in place to create this sort of uh, you know propaganda bubble on mm-hmm. the right that would motivate their base and get these people out to vote and would get Republicans in office and it has you know it's a I wrote a piece the other day for Salon about how you know the the grand metaphor of this era is Frankenstein's monster getting out of control and that's what's happened uh, on the right and you you know Donald Trump is another manifestation of that particular um, metaphor sort of sort of coming to life, and he sort of literally kind of looks like a monster. Even he's a very strange looking, oh, looking character. Oh, you had um, to go there. What next? You're going to make fun of his hair? Come on, no, now. of course. What's wrong with his never, hair? I know. Are you mind. saying there's some something no, no, unusual about his hair? I didn't say that. That wasn't <laughs> me. That was not me. Um, <laughs> but you know, he's he's just he he is exactly what you say. And I just want to make one other point that yeah. I think is important here. 
I've been saying this for a while, and I, and I think it's I think it's really coming to pass that this is an issue. People talk a lot about about Citizens United, and they talk about the very you know FEC versus you know free speech, whatever free speech versus FEC. These recent rulings that sort of unleashed allegedly unleashed money uh, into the political system, and the truth is it's it's technically kind of complicated, and it's it's really not that. Although they seem to have kind of given permission for unleashing money. But many of the fears about those those um, rulings mm-hmm. have actually they, they've come true, but not because of those rulings. And I, I won't go into too much detail. Well, there, we actually the yes, uh, on the show yesterday we actually uh, spoke about exactly that with Craig Holman, a public citizen, oh. and the fact that even even if you had a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United, you still have a federal election commission which does which no longer enforces right. It's a, election it's, law. Right, it's yeah. uh, you know, it's like it's just uh, they're a bunch of props. All bets are and, off, yeah. And the thing is, is that this, uh, this, the, the ruling that allows these these mega million billionaires to get involved in politics directly uh, goes all the way back to 1976. It's a it's a law called Buckley versus Vallejo, and mm-hmm. and that they've always been able to do a lot of what they're doing now. But the difference is, is that in our culture, it was considered kind of unseemly, distasteful for someone to put their name on partisan politics to this extent and literally sponsor a particular candidate. Mm -hmm. People thought that was kind of undemocratic, that Mm -hmm. any rich person would come in and basically hire someone to to be their representative and to go in. And, and not only that, I mean, people like Sheldon Adelson, he brings these people in and makes them pledge fealty to his agenda, which is, you know, a, a combination of, of, you know, hard right, um, you know, Israeli politics mm-hmm. and gambling and anti-union. And they have to say, you know, he says, I'll give you this money, but you have to promise me you're going to do these things. I mean, that used to be something that we just didn't, you know, I mean, for all of our corruption in politics, this was really beyond the pale. And rich people who had legacies and had families and had a family name and reputation didn't want to be involved in that. That's gone now. Yep. Something has changed. And what this means is, is that is that people like Adelson or Foster Fries, or, or on the liberal side there are some too, like Tom Steyer, although he you know, has a very particular agenda, which I, I think any thinking person can't argue with, which is, you know, trying to save the planet. From uh, climate, from change, climate change, yeah. yeah. on climate change. But nonetheless, I mean, you know, yeah, I guess, you well, know, pick your poison. But these guys are very specifically hiring people to enable their own personal gain, mm-hmm. and they're doing it openly. And it's being celebrated <laughs> on the right by people in, you know, in the Republican Party, these these candidates absolutely have no, you know, compunction about doing things like they went to this Mitt Romney retreat over the weekend, mm-hmm. and and Mitt Romney said to Lindsey Graham, you know, there's money out there, boy, go get it, you know, and Lindsey Graham ran off like a, you know, <laughs> like a good retriever to go try and get some. I mean, that's actually quoted that that this happened, and so you know, this is this is. This has now become something different. Politics is no law. I mean, rich people have always had tremendous influence. They just didn't run around, you know, waving banners and basically, you know, proclaiming what they were doing. I mean, this was something that required uh, a little bit more finesse, and it was a social norm that was holding them back from doing this, not laws, which are very difficult to enforce, and particularly now, but always have been. Those so what you see is, you know, I, I, I've, I've pondered this a lot, and I think that it is the power of the vast amount of these personal, you know, fortunes. When you get into the billions of dollars, 
$100 million you could personally put in, and I'm thinking Donald Trump could mm-hmm. easily do that if he's a billionaire and decides he really wants to make a run here. $100 million is a vast amount of money to spend on a political campaign. And it, they could do it and not even feel it. Well, I and, mean, this is, this is tip money for these people. And, so, and, well, and I would add that not only uh, is it tip money for these people, but in, in this case, with uh, Trump himself being the money man, he doesn't even need to show fealty to anyone nothing. else. He has himself. He, that's oh right. My God. He's taken out the middleman. You know, yeah. there there's a lot of positions that a lot of these Republican candidates we've we've seen take in order to please a Sheldon Adelson and so forth. Trump doesn't need to do that. No. As a matter of fact, you said he was, you know, parroting the Fox line. He is in some regard. In other regards, he's not. He he destroyed the Iraq war in his speech today. He said, you know, we, we went to this war. It was stupid. We got nothing to show for it. It cost us $2 trillion. We lost thousands of soldiers. He doesn't even need to show, you know, fealty to Rupert Murdoch and, the, you know, those uh, those billionaires. This guy is on his own. He doesn't need anyone. He can say anything he wants. And I think he's got the right message to appeal to what has become of the Republican Party. And it seems to me he's now the right messenger. Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's only Tuesday. I know. I'm going to have to start drinking early here. Uh, and, oh, my God. And I'm sorry. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I really do. But I think. And so let me ask you before I let you go. we got just a minute here, uh, Heather. Um uh, you know, I think with a message like that, going against things like Iraq, going against uh, issues of uh, you know unemployment and and so forth, I think he could potentially, if he could win the Republican uh, nomination, and I think he could, I think there's a whole lot of people out there, the so-called independents and so forth, who would jump on this uh, Trump train. Am I wrong? Please tell me I am. Well, it's really hard for me to believe that this guy, you know, I mean, nothing's ever been done. Nobody's ever taken him seriously. So what is, you know, what is out there that could derail him? And, you know, I mean, let's not give the media too short a shrift on this. If there's one thing they do well, it's scandal monger. Um, So, you know, it's possible (laughs) that they could figure out a way to, you know, to stick the, the, the shiv in him before he gets that far. Um, but I don't know. You know, I don't think it's out of the question. Let me, just, let me just agree with you to that extent. I don't think it's out of the question. I think the guy is uh, probably got, a, like I said, he's the, he's the conservative base. He's the id of the, the Republican base. And I think that he may be able to tap into a lot of that. And he can stay as long as he wants. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, we no longer have that gatekeeper of who runs out of money, right? He can be there all the way to the end, and you just don't know. You know, you just don't know. And Somebody the, like him could, uh, he could outlast this whole crowd. I mean, right. there's plenty of money for everybody. I shouldn't say that and, anybody will run out, but he won't be one of them. And <laughs> the media scandal mongering only makes him stronger. You watch. We'll, yeah, we'll see. I hope I'm totally <laughs> wrong from top to bottom about God, all of I this. God, I hope so. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't even get to talk about, uh, well, I just have no time, but uh, well, I'll have you over sometime, uh, Heather, to, to play this game. Trump the game. I still have my copy from the 90s. It's actually a great game, but what is uh, so perfect and bizarre about it is, unlike Monopoly, where you know you make money, you lose money, in Trump the game, you only ever, ever make money. 
You never lose wow. money. And the and the the game is who can make the most money. The American dream. Yep. That's uh, there it is. Uh, You've got to do that. Do a video of that, Brett. I well I will. Well you'll you'll be here. We'll have you over. <laughs> uh, Heather Digby Parton, uh, contributor at Salon and of course at Digby's Hullabaloo. Follow her at Digby's blog dot blogspot dot com and on the Twitters at Digby five six. Hey, always great to talk to you, Heather. Let's do it again Thanks, soon. Thanks, Brad. Right. Absolutely. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Oh, brother, we're going to take a quick break and come back with, well, now we know what's the matter with the country. Let's find out what's the matter with Kansas. Brad Friedman on your Bradcast. Please stay tuned. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back. This is your Brad Cass, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here on Trump Day. <laughs> uh, it really, uh, Desi, I don't know if you've played that uh, Trump the game or not. Have you played? I don't think you played that. I, with I me. think I think uh, I played it with you once years, it, ago, years ago, and I hated it. Oh well, no, then you didn't play it because you would have loved it. It's actually really fun, Trump the game, and I think it's out of print. So I, I guess I had to hold on to my special copy from the '90s. But the thing about it is, is that there's very few rules, and. Um, and, of course, you'll be shocked to learn that it benefits those who know the rules the best <laughs> because you can break the rules. Well, you can't break the rules. What you can do is if it is not specified in the rules, you may do it in this game. So you may lie to people. You may steal their money if you can get away with it. Anything that is not in the rules you can do. And the only thing that matters is how much money you make. You never lose any money in this game. It's whoever makes the most money. As if, you know, this was the 90s when that's all you did was make money. And, uh, and not losing money, that's all that Trump did. Because, yeah. you know, even though he did declare bankruptcy four times, he was always saved by some private investor or, or a group of investors. So, in a way, the rules actually work for the game the way that they have worked for Trump in life. Uh, it, was, it was really the perfect uh, game for the 90s, and uh, we're going to have to dust that off and, and, and bring it out. Um, one of the things that Trump said, and we're going to get to Kansas here in a moment and much more, but one of the things Trump said today was that, Islam, I don't have the clip here, so I'll just do Trump. Uh, Islamic terrorism is eating up large portions of the Middle East. They've become rich. I'm in competition with them. He's talking about ISIS here. They just built a hotel in Syria. Can you believe this? They built a hotel. 
Turns out, at least according to PolitiFact, they did not build a hotel. Oh. <laughs> uh, PolitiFact says, and I've got some problems with PolitiFact. We'll talk about that also in a little bit, hopefully, if I can get to it. But what they say here is that the grain of truth here is that the Islamic State has uh, taken over a luxury hotel, but they didn't build it, and it's not in Syria, and it doesn't really operate like a normal hotel. The PolitiFact says it could find no evidence that the Islamic State is running any sort of hotel in Syria. However, this May, the Islamic group reopened a five-star hotel in Mosul that shut down when the terrorist group took over the city, one of the largest in Iraq. So the Islamic State didn't build the Nineveh International Hotel. They just occupied it. And you can't book a room at, uh, at it. Uh, the TripAdvisor page is now defunct. So they ruled uh, Trump's uh, statement on that to be, what's their ruling here? False. Oh, a whole false. Wow. Not, pa- not pants PolitiFact. on fire, not mostly false, but false, uh, f- according to PolitiFact. But my point is, that won't matter. It won't hurt. None of this is going to hurt Donald Trump. It doesn't matter if he tells the truth. It doesn't uh, matter if he's crazy. I'm arguing that, uh, frankly, the crazier he is, the better it's going to work out for him, at least in the Republican Party primary and maybe beyond. We'll find out if I'm right. Okay, moving on to Kansas. <laughs> uh, we we talked a great deal about Kansas last week on this program, and uh, the fact that the uh, Kansas courts have ordered Governor Sam Brownback to properly fund education bec- as per the state constitution, because what happened was... Uh, Sam Brownback came into office, decided that this was still the Reagan era and that cutting taxes actually somehow increases revenue. So he cut a whole bunch of taxes for rich people, for company, for business owners. And then what do you know? The uh, the Kansas budget is uh, about four hundred million dollars in the red because that revenue just never showed up. About three quarters of Republican state lawmakers were forced to, uh, who had signed Grover Norquist's notorious anti-tax pledge, broke their promise not to raise taxes by approving a budget that will raise $384 million in tax revenue. They had to do it. They reluctantly did it. These Republicans, they some of them actually cried when they did it. They didn't want to do it, but they had to do it because... The uh, budget also says there, uh, the, I'm sorry, the Constitution also says that they must have a balanced budget. And according to the tally of the Hutchinson, done by the Hutchinson News, only six of the state's 53 lawmakers who signed either Norquest's Americans for Tax Reform pledge to never, ever, ever, ever raise taxes or the Koch brothers affiliated Americans for Prosperity pledge. Uh, only six of the 53 voted against the recently passed package which is now expected to be signed by Sam Brownback. So the courts had ordered uh, Sam Brownback to uh, restore cuts that were done to to education, to higher education. And now there's a big uh, lawsuit about this, and Sam Brownback and the legislature have passed a law that uh, if the courts rule against them again, they would defund the actual court system in Kansas. So it is getting crazy, and this is the cost of Reaganism. This is the cost of the Reaganists who haven't realized that voodoo economics don't work. Now, uh, the Republicans, in raising taxes reluctantly, here is what they have actually done. They haven't restored the taxes that they cut for the rich people. Instead, they've raised the sales tax 
which is a regressive tax that hits uh, middle class and poor people more than anybody. As the Kansas City's uh, Kansas City Star's David Helling explained, uh, it's not just a matter of asking Kansans to pay more in taxes. It's a question of which Kansans will pay more. He writes, no group, experts believe, gets hurt more than the state's low and moderate income workers when sales tax are raised, uh, those earning between thirty and $50,000 a year. They now face higher taxes on essential purchases without most of the subsidies that protect poorer Kansans from the government's bite. Low-income workers, unlike those with significantly higher earnings, must watch their pennies carefully to pay for other essentials such as transportation and housing. Soon, more of those pennies which quickly quickly grow to dollars, will be on their way to Topeka. So in other words, rich guy's got to go out and buy groceries too. Got to buy milk, butter, bread, whatever. He's got to pay a few extra taxes. No big deal. Uh, low and moderate income workers, they got to pay that extra money for their food and for their transportation and so forth. That hurts a lot. Steve Bennon writes about what is going on in Kansas and this tax increase on the poor. He says, let's call this what it is, a redistribution of wealth from the bottom up. Kansas, in keeping its tax breaks for the wealthy while approving tax increases for some, uh, by some measures, the largest tax increase in state history that will, dis- di- that will disproportionately affect those at the bottom. As Washington Post recently explained, people who make less are more vulnerable to increases in sales and excise taxes since they spend more of their money buying basic goods and services they they need to get by. This is especially the case in Kansas, where food is subject to sales tax. It isn't in many places for this reason, because it is regressive and it does hurt the poor more than anybody else. But food is subject to sales tax in Kansas. Kansans can receive a tax rebate for their food purchases, but those who make nothing or too little to owe income tax aren't eligible for that tax credit. They pay the sales tax on food in full. full. Steve Bennon writes, Congratulations, Kansas. You appear to be living in a Dickensian nightmare. Josh Marshall adds on this uh, point, he says, get rid of taxes on wealthy people's incomes, make the money back with sales taxes on family expenditures on food and clothing. In those terms, to borrow President Bush's phrase, the whole thing has been a catastrophic success. Yep. And by the way, uh, Sam Brownback's Kansas is not the only one who is uh, run by a Reaganist and is running into the same problems. We're seeing the same thing down in Louisiana. Bobby Jindal, uh, he cut taxes, and then they can't make their, uh, their, their balanced budget requirements of the state constitution. Scott Walker is having the same problem in Wisconsin. John Kasich in Ohio. Why? Why are they having this problem? Because tax cuts to the wealthy don't work. Because trickle-down economics don't work. Because Ronald Reaganism doesn't work. Didn't work when Ronald Reagan did it either. But apparently the message hasn't gotten through to Republicans because apparently they count on places like Fox News for their news. And that is in quotes. For their news, in quotes. They get none there. Instead, they get Donald Trump. 
And we'll see. We'll see if I'm right. I think they're going to eat him up. Do you do you have a thought on this, Des? Because I didn't ask you. I asked uh, uh, Digby. Uh, am I right about this? Is uh, Donald Trump going to be more successful in the Republican uh, race here? Because a lot of people are, you know, make, calling it a clown show, saying he's a clown. It's a joke. Well, I think it is a clown show. It, it is a joke, but... And it is a joke. <laughs> However, that yeah. being said, um, it seems like the, the real decider on this will be Roger Ailes, who, you know, owns and runs... Well, not owns. He runs Fox News. Mm-hmm. Depending on how much attention and airtime Roger Ailes gives Donald Trump, I think will determine whether or not he continues to be a viable candidate in the race and whether he'll make the cut that Fox has determined for the top 10 candidates in order to be able to make it onto Fox's debate, which I think Fox is going to try to manipulate the entire field and decide who gets to move forward. He will give him airtime because he will get huge ratings wherever he shows up. Right. He knows how to get ratings. Uh, Digby was right about that. He is a TV. He's not just on a TV show. He is a TV star, and he is a TV star for a reason. He's good on TV. He may be crazy, but he's good on TV, and he's going to be on TV a lot now. And uh, Roger Ailes is going to take advantage of the ratings that he's going to get yep. out of that for Fox News. Right. So, you know, it depends. Uh, who does Roger Ailes want to be president, or does he care more about ratings? I think that's going to be where it's going to get decided. Uh, the voters ultimately are going to decide, uh, at least to some extent, at least where they're allowed to vote, at least where we can uh, know that the counting is done and done accurately. But it is going to be up to the Republican voters. And, uh, you know, I think you're going to see, uh, well, you know, we'll see. I, like I say, I hope I'm wrong. But I think you're going to see him doing well, maybe in New Hampshire, unless uh, New Hampshire, the, you know, common sense says, wait a minute, this is crazy. Donald Trump, are you kidding me? <laughs> so we'll see. But watch watch for a surge in the polls. Okay, uh, quick break here, and we're going to come back with, speaking of PolitiFact, uh, which is just so pathetic, so pathetic. They have always been pathetic, and it's too bad because they perform a useful service, but they're pathetic. Brad Friedman, this is the broadcast. Stay tuned. Right, right, you bloody well right. You got a bloody right to say. Right, you bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, Hillary Clinton was right on voting rights. Not mostly right, not a little bit right, not to sort of right. She was absolutely right when she called out her Republican opponents. Uh, a week or two ago in her uh, speech given at Texas Southern University on voting rights. I'll get to that in a moment. But first, um, Congressman David Cicilline. I hope that's how you pronounce it. Cicilline. Cicilline. I don't know. David Cicilline. Uh, Congressman from Rhode Island. Has proposed a bill to automatically register Americans to vote. Fresh off of similar calls by Democratic presidential frontrunner Hillary Clinton. Um uh, He said in a statement last week that, quote, today, too many politicians are trying to make it harder than ever for citizens to make their voice heard at the ballot box. And of course, he's absolutely right. The Automatic Voter Registration Act will protect the right to vote and expand access for eligible voters across the United States. 
The Rhode Islanders bill would require local motor vehicle departments to forward individuals' information to elections officials who would then send the person a notification that they will be registered to vote after 21 days. Anyone can opt out of the registration process before that 21-day window is up. Although I don't know, you know, these bills that are being passed, the Oregon just passed one, uh, now proposed in California and New Jersey and elsewhere for automatic voter registration. You can opt out. <clears throat> I'm just, why would you want to? I mean, you can just you can still not vote. You don't have to vote just because you're registered in any event. This allows you to opt out for whatever reason. Anybody might want to make a statement, I guess, by not being registered to vote. But otherwise, they will be automatically registered uh, uh, to to they will be automatically registered unless they opt out. Federal law currently requires that citizens be given the option to vote when visiting motor vehicle departments. But as we've talked about on this show, in a lot of places, talked about North Carolina recently, they're not doing it. They're not asking people uh, if they want to register to vote. They're not signing them up to vote, despite the fact that that has been the law since uh, no National Voter Registration Act of 1993. So this would be a federal law that says uh, if they sign up to get a driver's license, then they're automatically sent to the elections office to be signed up to vote. Sounds good to me. Uh, Congressman Cicilline uh, added that while lawmakers have to give voters confidence that the choices they make at the ballot box matter, he believes this bill will increase the number of voters who turn out to the polls. Yeah, there's an idea. Give them confidence that the choices they make actually matter, like maybe, you know, publicly hand counting the votes. So apparently he was working on this for a while uh, before Hillary's speech came out, but it has now been uh, endorsed and backed by uh, National uh, DNC Chairwoman, Congresswoman uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Congressman John Lewis from Georgia, who was uh, beat up trying to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge about 50 years ago this summer, uh, marching for voting rights. So why don't we just make it easy? Why don't we just let everyone be registered as soon as they uh, sign up for a driver's license? Sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, uh, in that same speech, Hillary Clinton that I mentioned, uh, Hillary Clinton called out each of her opponents, her, her main opponents that she saw, thought at the time. She didn't mention Donald Trump. She should have. But she mentioned Jeb Bush, Rick Perry, uh, Governor Christie, Scott Walker, and how each of them have, over the past uh, several years, tried to restrict the right to vote. Here's what she had to say about uh, Florida Governor Jeb Bush. In Florida, when Jeb Bush was governor, state authorities conducted a deeply flawed purge of voters before the presidential election in 2000. Thankfully, in 2004, a plan to purge even more voters was headed off. Okay, so she's talking about uh, Governor Jeb Bush. And in fact, PolitiFact decided to take a look at each of these claims and found that the 2000 effort, uh, the deeply flawed purge of voters, the 2000 effort started before Bush was in office, though it continued under his watch, just as Hillary said. In 2004, the state scrapped, scrapped another purge after officials admitted errors, just as Hillary said. Clinton called the purge, quote, deeply flawed, and it was, and they found a lot of evidence to support that characterization. So PolitiFact rated her statement mostly true. What? 
Correct. Not true, not completely true, not 100%, just mostly true. This was crazy. They did this. Okay, here's her. Uh, here's what she had to say about Governor Rick Perry. Here in Texas, former Governor Rick Perry signed a law that a federal court said was actually written with the purpose of discriminating against minority voters. So that was about Rick Perry. PolitiFact found that the law in question requires a photo ID from Texas voters was greenlit by Rick Perry in 2001. And in fact, federal judge Nelva Gonzalez Ramos struck down the law, finding that it was an unconstitutional uh, a violation of the Constitution, that it violated the Voting Rights Act, that it uh, consisted of an unconstitutional poll tax. Now, PolitiFact goes on to say that that ruling was overturned by two higher courts, which is true, but it wasn't overturned on its merits. It was only overturned because it was too late in the game last year before the 2014 elections. So it was just uh, vacated for now, but the courts never found that she was wrong about the law's constitutionality. Ramos clearly described the law as discriminatory in her ruling, which is what... Uh, Hillary Clinton said and then they say however it's important to note that courts are still considering whether or not the law will be allowed to stand now that's not what Hillary said Hillary just said that he signed a law that a federal court said was actually written with the purpose of discriminating against minority voters that is 100% entirely true PolitiFact rates that claim mostly true amazing <laughs> All right. In uh, Governor Christie in New Jersey. Uh, here's what Hillary said. In New Jersey, Governor Chris Christie vetoed legislation to extend early voting. Easy, easy one to rate. In, to, in 2012, in fact, the, uh, PolitiFact finds that state legislators passed a bill that would have added early in-person voting to New Jersey's existing absentee ballot mail-in system. Christie rejected the bill by saying that the existing system worked fine. The proposal would have extended early voting, just as Hillary Clinton said. Therefore, PolitiFact rated it. Can you guess? Mostly true. Mostly true. Good God. As if some of it was false. Which part of it was false? They don't say. I mean, what would it take to qualify to be true? Maybe you need to be a Republican. Maybe if you make a statement, I don't know. I really don't know. And I tried to find out. I sent a, a, a query to uh, to PolitiFact. This was actually all of these uh, four. Well, I do one more. OK, this is the one in Wisconsin. Go ahead. In Wisconsin, Governor Scott Walker cut back early voting and signed legislation that would make it harder for college students to vote. Once again, easy to check, so PolitiFact does. Legislation signed by Walker reduced the number of days allowed for so-called early voting, but the blanket claim about college students overstates those changes, finds PolitiFact. Some provisions could make it more difficult for certain college students to vote. If, for example, they don't have a Wisconsin driver's license or they move to Wisconsin less than 28 days before an election. We rated her statement mostly true. Ugh. Because they're saying that it, it didn't uh, cut back early voting. Uh, it, it didn't make it harder for all college students to vote. Only some college students, tens of thousands of them, which is what Hillary Clinton said. She said that the legislation would make it harder for college students to vote. 
PolitiFact, mostly true. So the editor of PolitiFact, not just a reporter, but the editor of PolitiFact, her name is Angie Drobnik-Holon. She's the one who wrote these uh, so-called fact checks for PolitiFact, all four of them. I invited her uh, on the show. I invited her to get, you know, to explain these ratings of mostly true, which, you know, means they're a little bit false, which means Hillary Clinton was lying just a little bit. I invited her to uh, explain these uh, these fact checks or and or to come on the show and do it herself. Have not received a reply. So I can't give you any explanation other than PolitiFact is mm, mostly BS. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, today to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to our guest, Heather Digby-Parton of Salon and Digby's Hullabaloo. Always great to talk to her. If you missed any portion of our program, you can download it at bradblog.com or listen to it via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes, where I hope you will give us a good review Make it a little easier for everybody else to find us as well. You can drop me a line, some email at bradcast at bradblog.com. I'd love to hear what you think of this Trump thing and if I'm right, if he's going to, uh, if he's blown up the race, if it's going to be more of a factor than uh, the media have so far been uh, giving him credit for. Bradcast at bradblog.com. And of course, you can find me on the Twitters and the Brad and, and the Facebooks at the Bradblog. We'll be back with you same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, you can find me at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>